Hello, hello. This is Brooke DeVard and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. And today's topic is a very hot topic. Now, if you guys don't follow Dr. Iwoma on Instagram, one, she's stunningly gorgeous. She's beautiful. She loves skincare, but she is a cosmetic injector. So she injects fillers and Botox and she does it on herself and for patients. And she's someone that I've really kind of seen over the years talk about this space and talk about what it's like for Black women, which I think is unique. Now, I've been doing Naked Beauty for six years now, if you can believe that. Wow. And I've always been really passionate about skincare, about natural skincare, about wellness, about self-care. But over the years, more and more, this topic of how far can skincare really take me comes up. People are really curious about lasers. They're curious about micro peels. They're curious about what they can do to enhance their aesthetics with means other than skincare. So of course, that means filler and Botox and all of the things. Now, in terms of my personal point of view and advocacy on this, I am neither for or against doing these things. By the end of the conversation, I was like, ooh, like, should I actually get Botox? Like maybe it's time for me at 33 to get Botox. I'm open, but I'm also very cognizant of knowing myself. And I just don't want to have too much maintenance. I don't want to have like too many different various things that I have to do every six months, every year to look a certain way. Does that make sense? Like for me, it's more of like the laziness of like not wanting to have to do a lot of maintenance. And when I look in the mirror, when I look at my appearance, I feel good. I feel good about what I see. But if I didn't feel good about what I saw or if there was something that I wanted to correct, I would absolutely go that path. So I am neither, again, for or against, but I do believe that people should have access to information. And it was just really interesting hearing what her perspective has been. Also, she's based in the UK, so a very different market than here in the US. And this is a space in an area that's growing. It's growing a lot. Now, personally, I don't love a lot of people shame people that are getting lots of filler and Botox and They talk about how bad they look or it ages them or it makes them look unnatural. That's really not necessary. That to me kind of falls into the category of like shaming women for choosing to wear makeup or saying like, oh, you know, you look better without makeup. You don't need all of that. Who says I need anything or who says that you're doing it for the male gaze or an outer gaze or anyone other than yourself? So I really want to make it clear that although I don't personally spend a lot of time and investment in the space of doing these things. I am really pro people doing what works for you. Now, that being said, I also want to say if you do decide to go down this path or you're already someone that does these enhancements, you have to do your research. You have to make sure you're going to the best, best people. And I think you should really understand the pros and cons. There are things that I have done like under eye filler. Some people, when they do under eye filler, it leads to like vision damage or even blindness can be one of the most extreme side effects. So again, extremely important to understand the pros and cons of each. So anyway, that's my little spiel. I'll get off my soapbox and we can get into the episode. I really loved hearing from Dr. Awoma and getting her insight and her story. I hope you guys love this episode. And also like, let me know if this area of injection 
injections in cosmetic dermatology is something that you're more curious to hear about on the show. And I'll bring on some more experts. All right, let's get into it. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right, beauties, I am joined by Dr. Iwoma, who is joining us from here in London, right? I am. I am. This has been a trickier one for me to schedule because now that I'm in LA, London is so far ahead. Where in London are you based? Just outside of London, actually, but kind of on the eastern end. Because I actually recently just moved out to the suburbs. Oh, nice. I'm kind of calling it my suburban housewife era. (laughs) I love it. Are you married? I'm not, no. Yeah, but you know what? You don't have to be married to be in a suburban housewife era. I feel like that's very important to communicate. It is. I feel like it's just the concept of like going to Pilates at like 11 a.m., going to like Girls Bakery after, which is like kind of our fancy bakery here in the UK. And yeah, just suburban housewife. Absolutely. When I graduated college, I was living in South Kensington and I would just see all of the women who fold, I mean, they dropped their kids off at school. They did the school run, but then it was Pilates and then it was lunch and then it was a bit of shopping. And I was like, what a life. It's everything. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like a full doctor. So <laughs> the opposite of a lady of leisure, but you take such good care of your skin. You're so passionate about self-care and skincare. Thank you. But you're also incredibly smart and you've worked very hard to get the degrees that you've gotten and, and have that expertise. So that's why I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thank you. You're a cosmetic doctor now. What started your interest in skincare? Like what really sparked it for you? It's a bit of an interesting journey. So I would say definitely sort of the pull factors that sort of pulled me into the world of cosmetic dermatology was definitely the fact that growing up, particularly in my teens, early twenties, I struggled with my skin. When I say that, particularly to my patients, they're like, am I allowed to swear? Of course. Okay. (laughs) They're like, bitch, you haven't struggled with your skin. What are you talking about? It's perfect. But I'm like, genuinely, I have. So I had sort of mild acne and then obviously the associated hyperpigmentation. And I literally had tried everything. This was during like the YouTube era with the Jackie Inas. Well, Jackie's still there. God bless her. But, you know, the Jackie Inas and all of them. And like, do you remember the oil cleansing method? Yes. I like oil cleansing. You're not a fan? Not for my skin type. I'll say that. I have mildly kind of oily acne prone skin type. So definitely was the worst thing for my skin. (laughs) So I had literally tried everything for like to treat my acne, prescriptive stuff, trends. And I think through that, I really just developed a love for skin. And naturally, you know, with friends and family, I became that sort of go-to person. 
And then moving on swiftly into when I became a doctor, of course, throughout training, postgraduate, you know, you do a bit of dermatology. So I did dermatology with family medicine, or over here it's called GP, general practice. There I really got to see things like eczema, of course, acne, random rashes, lots of random rashes in family medicine. And yeah, and I would say I just sort of fell in love with it. And I think particularly then the angle of the more cosmetic side, so the injectables, Botox, filler. Again, always being a very creative person, I was like, oh my God, this is perfect for me. I get to like sculpt someone's face with a syringe. (laughs) So yeah, that's why I kind of fell into what I'm doing now. Yes. And where did you grow up? I grew up in East London. So I'm an East London babe, so specifically Newham. So um, fun fact, it's actually the same borough or the same part of London that Emma Greed grew up in. Oh, and she's the head of marketing for Skims. I swear she owns the whole show. Isn't she like one of the founding partners? Yeah. Yes. Well, you know what? Skims, Good American, the whole, they call her like the Kardashian secret weapon. I say that I am like a reluctant fan of Skims, but I do think that the marketing has just been so incredible over and over again. So I just so associate her with all of the like brilliant marketing moves. Yes, she is definitely a force. I do love Emma. So yeah, so that's where I grew up. So very unglamorous, pre-gentrification especially. I feel like back in the day, so I grew up in the early 90s, I feel like back in the day, growing up in East London, specifically Newham, it's like you lived there because you had no choice. Okay. <laughs> but then now it's become like, especially around Hackney where it's become like million pound townhouses and coffee shops. And even till today, I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, that used to be Murder Mile. What are you guys talking about? Like... <laughs> So 90s East London. So I'm sure the Spice Girls were as big of an influence for you as they were for me because the Spice Girls were everything to me. 100%. Best believe I was 40 Spice. I was Scary Spice all rolled into one. I was walking around that playground as like a 10 year old with my belly top. Don't ask. But yeah, Spice Girls is everything to me. Yes, but also just like an amazing era, I feel like to be a young girl growing up because I feel like I really did feel that girl power. Now, looking back, the way Scary Spice was treated, there are some racial overtones that are problematic. Right. But (laughs) I just, I love the Spice Girls and they had such an influence on me. So your family is from the UK? No. So my parents are Nigerian. So I'm very Nigerian with that English East London sort of flavor to it. Okay. So yeah, so my parents grew up in Nigeria, came here essentially in about roughly their thirties. And funny enough, so I'm basically the youngest of four. All of my other siblings were born out in Nigeria. And then I was born here in London. So I don't know in Nigerian culture what it's like, but I do feel like in English culture, there is this like, kind of like, don't pay so much attention to your looks. That's like considered vain. Do you know what I'm talking about? That kind of like English, like people, it's like, oh, you think you're special, you know, like don't, you know, just kind of blend in, don't do too much. In Nigerian culture, how are facial enhancements, things like that treated culturally? And I'm sure it varies from family to family. I would say definitely beautification as a whole. It's the complete opposite in the Nigerian culture. It's like you stand out bold, out there. I love it. I feel so lucky to have gotten that, you know, in the home from my mum. Yes. God bless her soul. Like she's everything. She's iconic. <laughs> yeah. She'd constantly be like, she so she calls me Oma. That's like her little nickname for me. And she'd constantly be like, Oma, you need to be proud of yourself. Oma, you need to be confident. Like just constantly saying that. Yes. Good. Funny because it's like moments where I don't know, maybe growing up, you know, where you feel insecure or like, you know, you're getting teased and whatnot. And she'd literally be like, Oma, 
they're teasing you because they're jealous of you. Look at you, you're tall. So I had lots of that. She was very kind of bright and loud with her makeup. So yeah, so complete opposite in Nigerian culture. I love that affirmation that like, yes, you should stand out. So you have all of these kind of, your mom is influencing your perspective on beauty. You have these skincare struggles. You find yourself in this space of being a cosmetic doctor and you're practicing now. And oh, also I should say you're a contributor. You contribute a lot of kind of beauty content and skincare content with a lot of amazing publications like Elle. But what was the beginning of your journey like? Do you start with like learning the basics, like Botox and filler, and then you get more advanced? Like, what is that journey like as you enter this field? Yeah, definitely. So definitely your existing medical training counts for a lot. Medical training over here is slightly different. So I did five years at a medical medical school. And then after kind of graduating, you then move into sort of your kind of preliminary or sort of junior doctoring era or foundation sort of stage of postgraduate training. But then in order to sort of double down and further niche into more kind of cosmetic dermatology, definitely what I'm saying over here, it's more of a new specialty. So a lot of it is very much self-guided, lots of private courses. So lots of private courses with regards, obviously, more cosmetic side, injectables, skin rejuvenation. So really just kind of doubling down on the existing knowledge that I had. You just mentioned it being self-guided and immediately my knee-jerk reaction was like, that makes me nervous. It should. <laughs> you have a strong work ethic. You took the time to learn what you needed to learn before you started kind of injecting and doing your practice. What is there to ensure that other people take that proper time? That's the thing. So definitely, you know, where you're coming from that doctor background you know, you, there is a curriculum to follow. So say if you do do a private course, there is a curriculum to follow, follow even, and it is very much, what's the word? Policed is a bit strong, but let's just say the word policed. So it's like a mandated course. Yeah, exactly. And also the thing is, you know, when you're sort of sworn to that oath as a doctor, you're not going to do a madness. You're going to do things properly. You're going to make sure that you're safe and knowledgeable. But definitely in terms of the UK as a whole, it's technically not illegal for you say or good old uh, Sally from the Lash Bar to start inj injecting people with filler. What? Yeah, it's crazy. It's a wild west over here. It's actually scary. Is that the same in the US or is this a UK? Absolutely not. It's the UK. Wow. Okay. So for my UK listeners, before they go and get injected with anything anywhere in the UK, what should they be asking? What are the minimum qualifications that you think someone should have? Definitely a healthcare professional. So ideally someone like a doctor, nurse, dentist, definitely how experienced they are, how many patients have they seen. And I think some of the kind of softer things that people should really look out for when getting injectables or doing such treatments is first of all, do you even feel comfortable with this person? Because I always say to people, it's a relationship. It's a very intimate relationship. It's beyond just injecting someone's face. You know, there's the whole dysmorphias that come with it, the way that someone views themselves someone's life story. Second of all, I would definitely say, what is the person's general aesthetic? Nine times out of 10, not always, there's sometimes caveats, but nine times out of 10, if your injector looks crazy, there's a good chance they might make you look crazy. Yes. I can see how that would be the case. <laughs> right. So just be conscious of that. Are they kind of more after that kind of more natural look, more natural glam look, or even the complete other direction? And then last of all, within the more sort of softer skills or softer things that you should look out for. I would definitely say it's good to look out for sort of a healthcare professional who is willing to say no to you because with this game, 
it is quite addictive. I'm not going to lie. And so you need a sensible injector who's going to be like, no, I don't think we should do that. Or you need to stop now because it's getting out of hand. So yeah, so those are some of the things I'd say you need to look out for. Yes. And have you ever found yourself falling into the addiction of fillers? 100%. I can't even lie. So wait, talk me through it. Talk me through it. When did you realize, <laughs> okay, I'm doing too much? Because I would imagine that if you could administer filler to yourself, you're probably just like looking in the mirror all day long. Like I could do a little here, a little there. Like what was that journey like for you? And when did you realize, okay, I have to pull it back? Well, frankly, I don't think I've crossed that threshold of looking crazy. No, I mean, you look great. You look beautiful. Thank you. Oh, there's quite a bit, darling. There's a bit there. But what I would say, and I have receipts to prove this, I basically look the same, but just an enhanced version of myself. But I basically look the same. But definitely, I would say from when I first started, so that was like, what, about six, five, six years ago now in the cosmetic space. From the beginning, I was very sort of set on and really sort of schooled myself into being like, no, Emma, we are not going overboard. We are not looking like some of these scary babes in my industry. Let's be conscious about how we inject our face. But definitely, you know, in this industry, when you start out, you for sure start on yourself, of course. I feel like if you don't get high for your own supply, why are you doing this job? But yeah, now I sort of limit the fillers to like, I don't want to lie, but I would say I kind of limit the filler to about max three times a year, maybe twice a year Okay, on average. And then with Botox, that for sure, we keep that on speed dial. That's regular. Okay. I'm very, very regular with that. Yeah. So give us your like facial map. Oh God, but I'm done. Yeah. And on your beautiful face, just walk us through it. Yeah, sure, sure. Oh, do you know what? It's funny because whenever people are like, oh my God, I can down. I'm like, I will tell anyone who wants to listen. And it's not even from the point of view of, oh my God, you need to get these treatments. Like even my patients will tell you, I'm like, baby, you don't need this. So just stop being bored. And like, you literally don't need it. But I like to admit and be open and honest and transparent about what I've had to sort of just show women that, you know, you just shouldn't be hard on yourself, essentially. And a lot of what seems natural has actually been guided. But in terms of what I have had, I just wanted to say that caveat because I know someone's going to be like, oh my God, she's like pushing fillers, but starting from top down. So forehead wise, I've been getting Botox for years. So I do love a bit of forehead Botox. I actually need to top up now. Can you see that frown? Ew. But <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like so conscious of my facial movements as I'm talking to you. Okay. No, so forehead. Forehead Botox. Talk me through like the, what's the dosage, I guess, that goes in your forehead? Um, so with Botox, it's sort of calculated in units. It's hard to say in terms of how many. I would say never no more than 50 units. And it's funny because I kind of give my patients like a menu of three different looks that they can have. Ooh, what's the menu? And hopefully that will kind of help you to understand what sort of look I like to go for for Botox. But at the very kind of minimal end, i.e. the least amount of Botox units used, you've got what I call baby Botox. And that's just everything and nothingness, just a bit of vibes, just to say that you had Botox, but no one can really see the difference but you. (laughs) And And then the middle option, the middle option is natural glam. That's what I tend to go for. Natural glam is there's a tangible difference to your face. The girls that are well-seasoned with Botox on the street can see that you've probably had a bit of cheeky Botox, but you can still move your face and you don't look scary. And how many units is the natural glam? 
I would say natural glam is about on average about 40 units. Okay. About 35, 40. And at the very extreme, we have glam. That's like 50 and above where you look tight, you basically are frozen. And do people want to, do you have people that come in to you and say, I want to be frozen? One or two of my girls. Yeah. One or two of my girls. It was funny, actually. Uh, one comes to mind. Love, absolutely love her. And again, I very much tailor it to what I believe will work with the patient. So although I wouldn't necessarily go for that look, I'm like, will it work with her and her aesthetic? And am I happy to do it? But I remember she was like, I want to go really tight this time. And how old is this person, if you don't mind me asking? How old is this gorgeous girl? Or range. Is she 50 or is she... Oh, God, no. She's like 28 to 30. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 28 to 30. Definitely there are signs of aging there, for sure. Right. Okay. So it's not completely kind of like... Just in her head. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's not. But yeah, 28 to 30. And I remember doing her forehead Botox and adding quite a bit of units. I would say I used at least 60 units. And by the end of it, once she was gone, I was like, I was like, wait a minute, there's a lot of units, you know? I was like, oh shit, I hope it's all right. And then I remember receiving a DM from her a few days later. And I was like, oh God, what's she going to say? And then she was like, oh my God, I want that. It's something I'm obsessed. And like sent me like a selfie. I was like, oh, phew, okay. Oh my gosh. Forehead tight for days, but yeah. But it takes a while to set in from what I understand about Botox. It's like you get it and then it takes a long time to see the results. What's the timeline? Yeah, it really depends on the toxin used. So I personally like to use quite a pure toxin. So specifically over here, it's called Bocachor, but it's essentially Xeomin, I believe the equivalent's called in the States. It onsets pretty quick. So I would say on average about two to three days. Um, yeah, that's kind of the average onset. And then sort of the peak result is at two weeks. And then it's going to last you for about three to four weeks. Three to four weeks. Sorry, three to four months. Sorry. Okay. Oh, wow. That's how long the Botox is going to last you. Oh, wow. So it's something you have to do quite regularly, I guess, if you want to keep up the look. Is there any truth to the fact that kind of like once you start doing it, you have to, I've heard something around like your muscles have to work harder so that like once you start, you should continue. Yeah, I get that question a lot. It really depends on what you're trying to achieve. Like if you start Botox, you're not compelled to continue it for the rest of your days. Absolutely not. But what I would say, the more that you get Botox, the muscles actually learn not to move very much. So actually what tends to happen is that the Botox lasts longer. So I would say then it starts to last about six months, possibly even longer. So yeah, so it really depends on what you're trying to achieve with it. Okay, that's helpful to hear. So you've got the natural glam 50 units forehead. Now we're moving down the face. Yeah. So forehead Botox done. I also added a bit of a brow lift with Botox. Okay. Just on the tail of the brow too, a little extra point there. So that just kind of like lifts your features overall. Exactly. Just lifts it ever so slightly. It's not like those crazy, you know, thread lifts. The Fox fox eye thread lift. Yes. I've seen that. It's yeah. It's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Do you do that? No, I don't. I don't. That's my boundary. We're not doing that. But yeah, it just lifts the eyebrow by a couple of millimeters and then working our way down. A lot of people think I've like done something to my nose. I haven't. It's just naturally this way. My cheek, cheekbone area. I've had a bit of help there. I do naturally have quite full cheeks. But more recently, I think after becoming more lean and just with age, definitely the fullness in my face is depleted a little bit. So recently, actually, I've had a bit of cheek slash cheekbone filler just to restore it to what it was like in my early 20s. And so for that 
cheek and cheekbone filler. How many is it units still or um, syringes? Yeah, syringes, milliliters. Yeah. Okay. How many syringes or milliliters? So I believe in the entirety of my life, I've had no more than one and a half, maybe two. Okay. In the entirety of my life, I would say one and a half. I'm thinking, is there anything else in the cheek area? No. Okay. So you're doing one milliliter across both cheeks? Yeah. One and a half across both cheeks. One and a half across both cheeks. Okay. Yeah. 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 I missed something. I've done my temples. That was a recent one as well. Okay. Can you explain this? Because I saw something on TikTok about getting temple filler. And I was like, are the girls just looking for things to correct on their face? Because, and I'm coming to this as a student. Help me understand why you need to fill your temple. Yeah. So definitely I agree with you. Often the girls are bored and are looking for things to inject on their face. 100% that is there. But definitely a lot of us naturally have that sort of concavity just sort of around and above the sort of tail of the eyebrow area. Some of us do, some of us don't. Do I have it? Look straight on because you can only really see it straight on. From here, your temples look good, actually. Okay, I don't need... Yeah, they look good. I can take temple filler off the list of things to worry about. (laughs) Take it off, take it off. But yeah, naturally people can have like a concavity there. And if you leave that alone and then fill in the cheek cheekbone area, it just looks like dip and looks a bit weird. So in order to sort of balance it out, you do need to put a little bit there. So I've had temple filler, cheek slash cheekbone filler, nothing in the nose. Oh, I've had the, oh God, I'm giving you guys a shopping list, aren't I? (laughs) We love it though. (laughs) And also the caveat, guys, I do not hate myself. I love myself. Yes. You know what? We should really double down on that because I think one of the things that I've been so clear about in terms of like how I approach other people's beauty practices, like you really have to come at things with non-judgment and also like you projecting onto other people any insecurities or things that you may have going on is like, it's an issue and it's actually very problematic. So I actually, I do not like when I hear people say like, oh, she must not like herself because she's choosing to do this modification. I think it's very judgmental and harmful. Very. I totally agree. And it's, you know, again, I'll be the first person to say, I didn't need these treatments. I don't need these treatments. I mean, you're gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you, babe. Thank you. But definitely with the work that I do and also coming from this field, it genuinely intrigues me. Yeah. So I want to consume what I'm dishing out to other people. So it's even just from a curiosity point of view, but go back to my face. So I've also had just lateral to my nostrils. So you can kind of fill this area. Are these the laugh lines? No. So it's actually like right up here. So yeah. So there. Oh, okay. She's pointing to her lower nostril. Yeah. Lower nostril. And you put a bit of filler sort of deep down right onto top of the bone and that just helps to sort of fill and lift that area which thus really just helps to define the sides of the nose and also just lift the early kind of start of the of the smile lines there okay yeah so i had that juvederm restylin what are what filler ingredient are we using yeah so mainly restylin i actually adore restylin i hear from a lot of people about chin balancing i just interviewed someone and she was like babe, you have to do the chin for balance. I'm like, are they just upselling you when you go there? Because do you have to do the chin? Your chin was fine. She's like, the chin is essential. Like you can't, you can't do it and not do the chin. I'm like, okay. So is chin also a thing? A hundred percent. I've had a decent amount of chin filler. I've basically paid to make my chin look like yours, Brooke. I think in the entirety of my life, I've probably had at least three mil, at least in the entirety of my life. Just because naturally... 
I have a very sort of regressed chin. It's very short. It's just not at the party. It's just non-existent. But filler just helps to bring it kind of forward and also just really puts my face in proportion and helps with the contours of my lower face. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is this like proportion balance. So it makes sense to me. And then what about lips? Because I'm always so curious about Black women and lip filler. Yes. A very controversial topic. I have had lip filler. I've had lip filler done twice. Again, in total, I believe I've had no more than a mil in, a, in my lifetime. And actually, it's lasted pretty long. I think the last time I did lip filler was maybe four or five years ago. And my lips still have not returned to what they used to look like. I mean, your lips look gorgeous. So did you do top and bottom? And how did you decide how much to put in? Top and bottom, in terms of deciding how much to use, it's very much a matter of just going by what you see in terms of the results. So as you're injecting, okay, is this, does this look cute? Is this too much? But also the tricky thing, and particularly with lips, they swell like a bitch and can swell in real time. So general rule of thumb is that you always add a bit less than what you anticipate in order to allow for that discrepancy in swelling. But yeah, I've done that. And you've probably seen on my Insta, I've injected a lot of black females' lips. It's actually quite popular in my practice, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes, you know, towards what we're saying. Like people have the agency to choose what they want to do. And, you know, it's like, who are you, I guess, to say like, oh, you don't need it. You already have full lips. Now, we do have to talk about filler migration. And, you know, you see these things where like filler has like migrated to the top of Mm -hmm. someone's lip or Mm -hmm. people that, you know, have to get their fillers dissolved because they get that kind of puffy look. What are you seeing in your practice in terms of some of the long-term unwanted effects of filler? Definitely, you know, just following from what you're saying, the overfilling. So definitely way back when, and it's still kind of here, but definitely way back when there was that whole trend of, you know, dark, crazy looking, more is more is more. But definitely in recent years, we're swaying more so towards a more natural look, a more natural glam, where it's like, okay, I do filler, but I don't want the girl across the road to see that I've had lip filler, you know? Mm -hmm. So definitely over the years, I've been dissolving people's lips, not my own work, but where people have gone elsewhere, look crazy, look overfilled. And then I'm then dissolving it and then starting all the way from scratch. How many people just dissolve versus how many people dissolve to fill in again? I would say 95% dissolve to refill again. Wow. Yeah, but just refill to a natural level. The thing that made me, it made me think of is like when you like take your braids out and then you just like put in a new protective style. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. that's out. Ready for my next. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Literally. So is it true that filler doesn't ever really go away and that if you just continue to get filler over and over again, eventually your face is going to like have some sort of puffiness? Yeah. So there's definitely emerging evidence to show that filler lasts a lot longer than what we've been told. (laughs) So kind of classically, what we're told is that say even the most densest of filler will maybe last 12, maybe 24 months, but we're seeing that actually can last years. And I mean like five to 10 years. Again, depends on the product used, depends on, you know, the metabolism, the biology of the patient and how, you know, how much their body has a tendency to reabsorb that natural hyaluronic acid filler. But yeah, it lasts a lot longer, a lot longer than what, than what we think. And when people are coming in lately, what are they asking for? I feel like, you know, I interviewed a doctor 
that also has a skincare line back in, we inter- I interviewed her in 2020 and she was like, I'm, I'm getting a lot of Bella Hadid. I'm getting a lot of, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. they're waves in terms of what the trends are. What are you seeing now? 2023, February, 2023. What are, what do people want? What's the aesthetic that they're going for? Are they showing you pictures of other people? Are they showing you themselves younger? Are they showing you themselves with a filter on their face? So interesting. And I feel like with the answer that I'm going to give, people are going to be really shocked. So actually the bulk of my patients do not show me pictures of celebrities at all. They don't. What they show me is the random Insta girl or the random girl of TikTok that looks really cute. Okay. Interesting. That's what they show me. Maybe sometimes a picture of their younger selves. I have occasionally, and this is kind of the dark territory of the injectable world heading into the dysmorphias and whatnot. I have had a handful of patients that have basically created videos of their face sliding between a filter and not a filter. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa. Whatever this filter did to my features, I want you to do for me, basically. I want that. Yeah. And I mean, I get that. I really do get that. I actually try very hard to not use filters because... Just, I don't want to have this thing of like, oh, I have to like have a filter. Like, it's just like, okay, this is my face. You guys know what I look like. We're not Mm -hmm. playing games here. Like, this is it. This is my face. Yeah, this is me. But I have used filters where I've been like, ooh, like I look like myself, but better. What did this filter do? And I can imagine that that's like an attractive thing to be like, okay, if I can pay someone to get this result, then why not explore that? Yeah, it's totally understandable even. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with using a filter. From time to time, I use a filter too online. Oh, yeah, totally. It's a choice. You know, when you're feeling a bit scrag and rough. But I think fundamentally, and and again, I'm saying all of this, not from a holier-than-thou point of view, but from a medical doctor patient point of view, it's very much about the intention behind why you're doing things. And so definitely for me, when someone comes to me in clinic and they're showing me videos of their face, face even sliding in and out of the filter, instantly red flags, alarm bells, sirens are ringing. And I'm like, oh God, oh God. Okay, let's dive deeper. Let's, you know, assess the mental state, you know, what's really going on before we jump in and start injecting. Because sometimes, not always, but sometimes and more often not, to be honest with you, it can be a deeper kind of indication of something else going on that needs to be addressed first. Yes, like a deeper, maybe like psychological issue. Exactly. Exactly. Like a body dysmorphia. 100%. And what I would say is that to a degree, we all have body dysmorphia. But what I would say is that obviously it's, I would say it's on a spectrum. Definitely where the dysmorphia is overtaking aspects of your life. You know, you're incessantly thinking about it. And also where you don't have an insight to the dysmorphia. That's a real problem, you know? So yeah, so that's what I would say about that. Yes. What's the youngest patient that you've seen come in and ask for something? Yeah. So the youngest I treat is 18. So adults only. Okay. Adults only. <laughs> and even at times, adults only, no, no, we don't go in the territory of, uh, of treating children. And even actually where my patients, where some of them do look a bit young, when I meet them for the first time, I'm like, babe, I'm so sorry. See this as a compliment, but I need to see your ID because I'm not injecting children. Yeah. But even where I have injected 18 year olds, I'm still sort of side-eyeing them and being like, and just not literally, but metaphorically giving them a tougher time during the consultation process and really making sure that they're compass mentally and they're mature and really understand their decision. Yes, because even though it's not a permanent modification, 
it is like a big medical decision. Definitely. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. It's a good opportunity to segue into skincare. So one of the things, I have a good friend who... We always talk about all this expensive skincare that we buy. And he messaged me and he was like, I just got under eye filler. And like, why was I wasting all my money buying whatever $300 cream? Because skincare has limits, you know? So are there things that you see people try to treat with something that they can buy off of the shelf where really it needs either like an injection of some sort or a treatment? That's the other thing that I'd love to hear your perspective on microdermabrasion, lasers, that sort of thing. Like, when do you think skincare has a limit? Yeah, great question. Definitely, as you mentioned, under eye filler and like boo boo, the eye cream is not going to work. Okay, let's start, you know. So basically, hollowness under the eye, darkness around the eye, and like boo boo, you just need filler. Yeah. Another common one is hyperpigmentation. So. Again, I don't blame the average consumer. I think definitely skincare brands have a lot to answer for because half the time, oh, this is some tea. Half the time, naming no names, a lot of these brands don't test on skin of color. I've seen some of the studies, they don't. And the brands that are claiming to treat hyperpigmentation aren't testing on women of color? Yeah, they're not. That's a big problem. You know, women of color are expecting these high street products to solve really kind of significant quote unquote, stubborn pigmentation, but it's not going to do jack shit. They need something prescriptive. They need like lasers, they need chemical pills and all of the above to really address it. Yes. Now, in terms of what is on your bedside and in your bathroom, what are your favorite skincare (laughs) products now? Oh I've got a lot. And even actually I've put some of them around me just so then I don't forget. Yeah. Let's do a show and tell. Yeah. This is going to be kind of all over the place. So please direct me because I do have a habit of going on a bit of a relevant tangent. But the first one that's in front of me, I really love the brand Fleur. So it's not out in the UK yet, but they kindly sent me some bits. I know the founder's been on your show, right? Leslie, yes, she's amazing. Is that the symmetry fluid? That's the symmetry fluid. I love this. Such a beautiful, chic, enjoyable to use product. So good. Love the texture. Generally works on my skin. Loves that. So I love a bit of club. I love a bit of K-Beauty as well. That's been a recent re-revival. I love K-Beauty for just getting that glass skin, particularly on the hydration aspect. My favorite brands within that are definitely Beauty by Beauty of Joseon. I love another K-Beauty brand. I'm going to try and pronounce it. Korean babes out there do not laugh at me, but I'm going to try. 
It's called Pingyongyul. Pingyongyul. Impressed with the pronunciation. And it's like, I could have crucified it though, who knows, but I tried. <laughs> it's like gorgeous blue packaging, really simple, really chic. And it's essentially made by like a clinic based out in Korea. And they specialize in treating like sensitive skin conditions, using minimal natural ingredients and things like that. And my skin loves that, obsessed with that brand. Oh, an SPF that your listeners need to buy. Oh my God. The brand is called Isentree. Innisfree. Yeah, no. Oh, not Innisfree. Okay. I know there is an Innisfree, but I think there's also like an INS tree. <laughs> I'm going to Google it right now. Yeah, please do. Because this sunscreen is top tier. And in the UK money, it's like £10. No white cost, ridiculous texture, doesn't smell. I mean, the Koreans are just on it. They're in a whole other dimension with it, honestly. So yeah, so it's um, spelled I-S-N and then tree. And my favorite sunscreen by them is the Hyaluronic Acid Watery Sun Gel. Ooh. Game changer. So good. Oh my gosh, wait. I think you're one of the only other people I've seen use this product I'm obsessed with, which is the Shiseido line filling serum. Like the new Shiseido, it comes in the two blue bottles that their new hyaluronic acid. Yes, yes. Oh my God. But that's like when you use that, it's like, Yes, like this like Japanese company that has these proprietary formulations that they actually spend like years on. And then you just use like the off the shelf Sephora hyaluronic acid and you're like, this is different. This formulation is just a different thing. It's very different. Not all hyaluronic acids are equal, ladies. I'm just telling you that now. Very true. Very <laughs> true. Okay. So that sunscreen sounds amazing. I will definitely link to that in the show notes. What about like you're doing these treatments, lasers, peels. Do you do any exfoliation in your skincare routine or do you kind of keep that towards like the more treatment arena? I definitely exfoliate in my day-to-day routine. Definitely not as much as what people would think I would. I would say I exfoliate a couple times a week, but definitely not every day, twice a day. Absolutely not. My favorite is actually by a clinic brand or clinical brand even. Um, it's Abaji. Oh, Yes. I'm sure you've heard of Abaji. Yes. Their Cleansiderm range, which is for acne, they have a toner, salicylic acid-based toner. I'm not going to lie. It's giving, and I don't want to pay on their name because I love it. It might contain drying alcohol. Don't quote me on this, but it feels like it does. But I don't know what it is, but my skin loves it. (laughs) It shouldn't love it, but it does. Okay. And that happens sometimes. Yeah. That's my favorite exfoliator. Obsessed with it. Do you use retinol? Mm. Of course I do, Brooke. I'm obsessed with her. She's been like my bridal die for like the past 10 years. I know. I need to get back on my retinol journey. I don't know what it is. I think it's because, I mean, you live in the UK, so sun is not like a concern the way it is. (laughs) You're in LA. I mean, you can even just Mm. see, technically the lighting for this podcast would be so much better if I, if I was seen, but it's like the sun is so intense. It's gorgeous. It's like this level of intensity that I haven't experienced and I'm only... I think like two months into living here in LA and I'm, I'm like paranoid. Like I don't do any hydroquinone at night. Like I get so scared because I know that actives in the sun are just like a non-starter. So I'm just like cleansing, exfoliating, moisturizing. I'm kind of like trying to do less to get used. You know, also when you move like water change, I just feel like there's a lot going on, new climate, new water, intense sun every day that I'm like, I don't also want to start. I'm, I'm like, holding back on my actives right now. I think that's super rational. And that's actually what I would suggest to patients too, because even not only do you get such changes when you completely uproot your life, but even just seasonally or go on holiday, I always say to people, if you're moving to a sunnier climate, albeit initially, 
less chill on the actives, especially the exfoliants. And if you must use actives like retinol, keep it for the night only and making sure that you're really dumping down on that sunscreen. Yes, exactly. I love talking to people that are in this like day to day because I feel like you're such good trend forecasters, right? Like you have a front row seat to the industry. You hear from all of the beauty brands. You hear from your clients that come to you. You're also, you know, on these social media streets. So (laughs) what do you think is kind of like the next wave or like trends that are emerging in this kind of like either cosmetic surgery space or just like facial aesthetics, you know, area? In terms of the more cosmetic space, we're going to continue to see that trend and that drive away from obvious looking work, definitely more undetectable work. Even God bless her, even Kylie, you know, she's looking hella natural these days, you know, even just her general aesthetic, she's definitely dialed it down. And I think that's a real indicator of things. I think also to be even more specific within that, people are going to start moving away from fillers. So more so looking at more skin boosting treatments. So still a filler based treatment, i.e. you're still using hyaluronic acid, but just more things that don't plump or fill or contour the face, just more so giving that rejuvenation and tightness and hydration to the skin. So more of that. So more skin boosters, more profilos, definitely more sort of other skin rejuvenating treatments like Morpheus 8, the radio frequency coupled with microneedling, more lasers. I think we're going to see more of that. Again, Botox and filler, that's always going to stay. Let's not pretend. But I think people are going to consider more things like that as well. And do you think for women of color, it's important to find a doctor that even if it's not a person of color themselves, I think I would even say women, do you agree with me? I, I don't know. For me, maybe this is a gender bias, but I feel like I would prefer to see a woman and have a woman's eye in terms of, I don't know, just doing anything on my face. Even though I've had male makeup artists that have been incredible, you know, and male hair. So so anyway, maybe this is gender bias. But do you think it's important to find either a person of color or someone that's done significant work on people of color before you kind of go down this path? 100%. I would even say it's compulsory as a person of color if you're considering injectable treatments because... You know, even patients say this to me all the time, like they come to me because I'm black and therefore by default, there's this expectation that you understand my struggles, you look like me, you get it. And even on a more medical sort of artistic and anatomical point of view, the ethnic face is very different to a Caucasian face, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's that, you know, those sort of considerations and nuances that need to be had, but also the beauty of having an ethnic injector or a black injector is that they're likely to be on the same page as you in terms of making sure that they're not, you know, essentially westernizing the face. So an example of this would be, say, with nose filler. So my rule of thumb and my kind of aesthetic and approach when doing nose filler on patients of color is that in the most crudest way, I'm not going to give you a white nose. I'm so sorry. If the nose I'm going to give you looks like you couldn't have been born with it, then I didn't do a good job. We're not going to do that. It needs to look native to you. So uber straight noses, the slopes, the points, the uplifts. No, 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 no. I don't do any of that. I think that is a really important thing to not check people on, but like, yeah, like you should be trying to enhance your existing features that feel like native to your your ethnicity. 100%. It's so, so key. So, so key. Yeah, I, I hope to see 
people just also just choosing what makes them happy. But I agree with you doing less and just enhancing and doing what makes them feel really good, but also taking that time to do research on the right thing to do. Absolutely. Final question for you. When do you feel you're most beautiful? (gasps) I should have prepped this because I know you always ask this, don't you? (laughs) I do always ask, but I think it's better to not prep. Okay. This is a good one. I think one of the moments or times that I feel at my most beautiful is basically when your period is over, the hormones are creeping back up and you just, the glow is different. You no longer feel like heavy and bloated and ugh. And then you just suddenly feel like magical, like a newborn baby all of a sudden. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh my God. Definitely Girl. doing that, that phase. For sure. I'm on day three right now and I'm just like, oh Oh, no. But because I feel like I've been paying more attention to this, what you're saying, this like magical feeling once it ends, I'm now scheduling more social stuff in the following week. This is when we're going to do the date night. This is what, you know, like I'm being more conscious of it because it's so real. Like you really do feel just like better, more glowy, like so much better. Yeah. Literally. And the skin looks amazing. So, I love that answer. I love that answer. Well, thank you for, I feel like you dropped a lot of tea. You were very transparent. And like, I learned a lot. I feel like I've now wrapped my head around lasers in a way that I didn't understand before. So thank you for that also. Yeah. And thank you for staying on so late for this conversation. And also people, if you're not following, I'll leave all your socials in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brooke. I love the podcast. As I said, I've been an OG fan. So yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Since the old Josephine Baker logo, which really, really says something. Yeah. I appreciate you. (laughs) Pleasure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 